Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Evening, everyone. Um, great to see you all. Um, I'm Andy Haldane. I'm the Chief Executive here at the RSA. And it's uh, my great pleasure and privilege uh, to welcome you all here to the great room and indeed all those uh, that are watching online to tonight's uh, very, very special event. As we mark one year on uh, from Russia's full-scale invasion, I think it's important that we at the RSA, everyone watching tonight, uh, honor the immense courage and resilience shown by the people of Ukraine in their fight for freedom and for independence. Important too uh, that we as the RSA global community stand in solidarity with our Ukrainian friends uh, as a committed as we all are collectively to building a more just, indeed a more peaceful world. Important too, I think though, that we look ahead into how we build a more positive and peaceful future for the people of Ukraine. And frankly, there is no person better placed to do all those things uh, than tonight's speaker. Uh, it's an honor to welcome uh, to the RSA Nobel Peace Laureate Alexandra Matvichuk to speak to us this evening about securing peace and securing justice not just in Ukraine, uh, but beyond. I wanted also to say a special word of thanks to RSA fellow, Alicia Kromnichuk, who is sat, is not sat at all, she stood at the back. Um, Alicia is director of the Ukrainian Institute here in London, and has been instrumental, not just in organizing tonight's wonderful event, but in serving as a key bridge between the UK and Ukraine over the past year. And thanks also in advance uh, to Ed, uh, Ed Carr from The Economist who will guide tonight's uh, discussion with Alexandra. So without further ado, uh, please will you join me in providing a rapturous welcome to our distinguished speakers this evening, Ed Carr and Alexandra Matvichuk. Thank you very much, Andy. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome here. It's a great pleasure for me to be hosting this conversation with Alexandra on behalf of the RSA and the Ukrainian Institute. And it's great also to have lots of people joining us online. And we'd like to get you involved in the conversation. So please do post your questions to Alexandra in the YouTube chat or on Twitter using the hashtag uh, #RSAPeace. And we're trying to get as many questions as possible when we turn to the Q&A later this evening. Now, one Thursday, uh, just over a year ago, I was woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning by a call from our Washington bureau. And the Russian invasion of Ukraine had begun. It was one of many wake-up calls that I had this year, and I'm still getting them. The first was a few days before the invasion. I'd recently been in Moscow, 
and been told by officials there that, it, that war made no sense. And I believe they were sincere. But Putin's speeches and the televised session of the National Security Council that they made it clear that he'd attack. He is the author of this invasion on all that there is to mourn. Uh, the dead on both sides, the living scattered across Europe, and Putin's unrepentant. The second wake-up call was that Thursday uh, night in February when I finally understood that this war is what Putin had been working on since 2014. We're not in the second year of war, we're in the ninth year of war. And the third uh, is in the months since then, the third wake-up call. Putin wanted a short war, Instead, he's brought on a generational struggle between rival systems. Not only is sovereign democratic Ukraine still standing, and thus a rebuke to his tyranny, but the West will be judged around the world by whether it has the unity, the resources, and the self-belief to ensure that Ukraine thrives in the years to become. And our speaker this evening stands for part of that liberal democratic philosophy, small l, small d, that binds us all together. And that is human rights, justice, and the rule of law. They're the virtues that Putin's Russia wants the world to believe a hypocrisy, that they're empty and self-serving. And I can think of nobody who so brilliantly proves him wrong than Alexandra Matvyachuk from the Centre for Civil Liberties. The Centre's a not-for-profit organisation based in Kiev, dedicated to documenting war crimes and human rights violations since 2014. And it was the winner of last year's Nobel Peace Prize. So please join me in welcoming Alexandra. Last year, Russia expanded the war of aggression to the full-scale invasion. And this photo with a yellow kitchen with some apples on the table brightly illustrated that everything which we call the normal life was ruined in one moment. Millions of people are suffering as a result of this Russian aggression. Even people who live far from the battlefield live in total uncertainty. I live in Kiev and my native city, as many other Ukrainian cities, are constantly being hit by Russian rockets. And that is why one Kiev family decided to leave the city to save their child life. And they moved to the city in deep rear, but Russians hit the city as well. And their four-year-old daughter, Lisa, died because there is no safe place anymore in Ukraine where you can hide from the Russian rockets. Russia uses war crimes as the methods of warfare. Russia attempts to break people's resistance and occupy Ukraine by the tool which I call the immense pain on civilian population. We document this pain so that sooner or later, all Russians who committed these crimes, as well as Putin and senior political leadership and high military command, will be brought to justice. But Russia organized not just pain for people, 
This is Julik. This is dog who lived under Russian occupation in Kherson. And this photo was taken two days ago by, by my colleague who worked there to document Russian atrocities. And you clearly see that one Russian soldier with a knife cut the letter Z on the Zulik's nose. That is a letter which marks the so-called special military operation of Russia against Ukraine. And you can ask me why they did it. And I will answer, because they can. This war has a very vivid value dimension. I will remind you that this war started not in February 2022, but in February 2014, when Ukraine obtained a chance for a quick democratic transformations after the collapse of the authoritarian regime due to the revolution of dignity. And in order to stop us on this way, Putin started this war. Because Putin is not afraid of NATO. Putin is afraid of the idea of freedom. And in this war, he tried to convince Ukrainians that we made the wrong choice for democracy nine years ago. And he also tried to convince the whole world that democracy, rule of law, and human rights are fake values. If they are genuine, why do they fail to protect anyone in this war? Why the whole UN system couldn't stop Russian atrocities? Why do I, the human rights lawyer, who have been applying the law to defend people and human dignity for many years, at present have to respond to the question how to contribute to people's survivors in the occupied territories by saying, provide Ukraine with weapons? Because the law doesn't work. But I do believe that it's temporary. That's why we are fight for justice. And today, I, in my introduction remarks, I want to focus on several things. Justice and peace, justice and law, justice and international system, justice and rebuilding, and justice and people. Ukraine needs peace much more than anyone else. But peace will not be achievable when the country which was invaded stop fighting. It will be not a peace, it will be occupation. And occupation is just another form of the war. This is a photo of one of the unmarked graves in the forest near Izum, liberated Kharkiv region. Under the 319 number, it is a body of killed children writer Volodymyr Vakulenko. He was disappeared during the Russian occupation and there his family to the last moment believed that he is alive, but as thousands of other civilians in Russian captivity, it's very difficult for them to accept the result of identification. Russians killed this children writer, Volodymyr Vakulenko, because they enjoyed impunity for decades. Russian troops committed 
horrible war crimes in Chechnya, Moldova, Georgia, Mali, Syria, Libya, and they have never been punished. The, this violence and denial of human dignity become a part of Russian culture. Russians start to believe they can do whatever they want. That's why if we want to achieve peace, we must break the circle of impunity. There will be not sustainable peace in our region where Russia for decades got used to use a war as a tool how to achieve geopolitical interests and uses war crimes as the methods how to win this war. This is photo was taken not in Ukraine. This is photo of Serbian military is kicking the uh, elder woman who lay on the ground. Uh, you can see uh, two civilians men also lay near here and the pool of blood under them and it's very vivid that all these people are killed. This photo was made 31 years ago during the Balkans war, but now journalists started investigation and they used digital tools and open sources and they have identified this man on this photo. And they appeared that this man have never been punished and he made a career of DJ and he's still playing in festival and clubs. But what I want to say with this photo that now in 21 century, we have digital tools which provide us a huge possibilities to restore the situation and document war crimes and identify the war perpetrators, which we have not even dreamed 31 years ago. Now it's possible to recover what happened, even not being on the spot, and the work of Bellingcat and other organizations convincingly proved that it's possible. But what is the problem? The problem is not with digital technologies which provide us such opportunities. The problem is with our law. Because our international legal system is not so developed as digital technologies. And I think it's because our human prejudice we still look into the world through the prisma of Nuremberg trials, where Nazi war criminals were tried after Nazi regime had collapsed. But we live in the 21st century. Justice must be independent of the magnitude of Putin's regime's power. We cannot wait. We must establish international tribunal now and hold Putin, Lukashenko and other Russian war criminals accountable. I know because I work with a war crime that war turned people into the numbers and only justice can return people their names, which means to return people their dignity. And we must ensure justice for all victims of this war, regardless who they are, what their social position, what type of cruelty they endured and whether or not media or international organizations are interested in their case. We must do it because the life of each person matters. Ukraine is a vivid example that international system of peace and security aren't functioning anymore. Like permanent member of Security Council 
can start the war of aggression, leaded this war for eight years and started the full-scale invasion, and there is no tool how to stop it. And this is a very dangerous world to live, not just only for Ukrainians, but for the other people in other countries, because it's appeared that your security and your human rights guarantee are dependent not on international law or international organizations, but whether or not you live in a country with a strong military potential. And it's appeared that country with nuclear weapon can try to dictate their own rules to the whole world and even forcibly change the internationally recognized borders. We must fix this situation. Once again, not only for Ukrainians, but for the other peoples in the world, to restore international orders, to show that such behavior is not normal, that you will be punished. And we have to start the cardinal reform of international system with a small but very important step to exclude Russia from UN Security Council. When we speak about justice and rebuilding process, I would like uh, to start that when you see a total destruction of country by Russian troops, uh, people, uh, first image uh, when we speak about recovery is uh, restoration of bridges, roads, um, buildings, churches, hospitals, schools, civil infrastructure. It's very important and essential but people affected by this war has to be in a priority of recovery process as well. And also, when we speak about rebuilding of Ukraine, we speak about strengthening of democratic institutions. And here we have one important point. Last year, a sociological poll was conducted in Ukraine and people were asked, what will be the main disappointment for you when the war will end? and 65 and 8%, the majority of people, answered impunity for Russian war crimes. Which means that we will be very slowly in democratic transformation of Ukraine if we will not demonstrate justice. When we speak about democratic transformation, it's not enough to adopt qualities law or build new formal institutions. We need energy, energy of people who believe that rule of law is essential instrument. This energy provides the laws and formal institutions to work properly. So we can't ignore the demand for justice of millions of people because this can very closely turn to demand for revenge. And I will end my introductory speech with that fact that based on my own experience, I know that even if you can't rely upon a legal instrument, you, you can always rely upon on people. And when international organizations evacuated their personnel in the first days of large-scale invasion, ordinary people remained. And ordinary people started to do extraordinary things. I would never wish any nation to go through this or this or this. This is all horrible. 
and this horror become a part of our daily life. But these dramatic times provide us opportunity to reveal the best in us, to fight for freedom, to be courageous, to make a difficult but right choices, to help each other. And now, like never before, we are acutely aware of what does it mean to be a human beings. And that is why I'm here to call you to support our struggle for freedom, for democracy, and for justice. Because justice is universal value, and justice has to become universal service. And we live in a very interconnected world, and only spread of freedom make our world safer. Thank you very much. very much indeed, Alexandra, for that powerful and moving talk. Um, I'll talk for, we'll talk for a little bit up here and then we'll come to you for some questions and for, for you who are watching online. Now I'd like to start with, um, a, I think, what's a central point in what you said about the difference between numbers and people. And I wonder if you could illustrate for us how the pursuit of human rights and justice, how that turns statistics into real people and, and the effect that that has on those people? I can illustrate it with uh, one story uh, of 62 years old Alexander Shelipov, who was killed by a Russian soldier near his house when the large-scale invasion started. And this tragedy received a huge media coverage only because it was a first court trial. So a lot of international journalists covered the speech of his wife during this court trial and his wife Katerina told that her husband was an ordinary farmer but he was her whole universe and she lost everything and this is a key meaning of justice when you use a very essential and costly investigative and court machine to restore human dignity of ordinary farmer. Because when we speak in the 21st century that life of each person matters, we have to prove it with our actions. And that is why in March and April last year, I started to ask to myself, for whom do we document all these crimes for? Because we faced with accountability gap. National system is overloaded with an extreme amount of crimes. And international criminal courts will limit the investigation only to several selected cases and has no jurisdiction over the crime of aggression in situation Russian war against Ukraine. So my task for current moment, it's not just to document war crimes with my team and partners, and we have in our database 33,000 episodes of war crimes. But we work to change the global approach to war crime justice, to ensure justice for all. Because it's 21 century, it's possible. In your Nobel acceptance speech, you talked about this being a war between two systems. And I wonder if you could explain where peace and justice fit into your system and the resolution of the war. 
sustainable peace in our region is impossible without justice. And when I spoke for with um, hundreds of hundreds of people who survived Russian captivity, they told me that their perpetrators was totally aware that they will avoid accountability. That a lot of them took part in other wars as well. For example, Girkin, he was in Pridnestrovia, he was in Chechnya, he was in Georgia, and he was in Crimea, in Donbas. And this led us to understand it, that Russia used war crimes as technology. And our fight for justice is fight not just for Ukrainians and not only for people who suffered from Russian war crimes before, but for other nations who can be the potential target of next Russian aggression. When large-scale invasion started, I received the message from my Syrians colleagues, human rights colleagues, and they told me, please pass the message to your government, not mark evacuation corridors with a with a um, title children, because Russians will deliberately hit to such kind of corridors and cars, and it happened. And then they also wrote, please tell your government not to mark hospitals like hospitals, because it's become a first target. And then when finally we had the opportunity to meet each other, they tell me very important things. We failed to stop Atroci Russian atrocities in our country. And that is why it leads and resulted in the large-scale invasion in Ukraine. But maybe you succeed. Your fight is our fight. Please tell us, what do you need? We will do everything. Because when you succeed, it will have a huge impact to the whole regions and to the whole conflicts where Russia initiated or become a part, and which means it can save millions of human lives. Now, Alexandra, let's get um, practical. W what are the institutions that you can use and what are the institutions that you need to reform or invent in order to bring about justice? This accountability gap has two dimensions. The first dimension is that there is no international court for current moment who can prosecute for the crime of aggression. And we, can use, we can't use national court because they can't overcome immunity, which top officials of each state has according to the international law. Even international criminal court, unfortunately, have no jurisdiction over the crime of aggression. And that is why we need to create a special tribunal on aggression and hold Putin and his surrounding accountable. But our fight for justice can't be limited only the crime of aggression. We have other international crimes which Russians committed in Ukraine. It's war crimes, it's crimes against humanity and genocide. Because speaking honestly, we have to acknowledge that this war has a genocidal character. And this, that is why we can stop fighting. If we stop fighting, there will be no more us. National system is overloaded. 
uh, I spoke with Office of General Prosecutor and uh, Andrei Kostin, the General Prosecutor, told me that they opened 67,000 criminal proceedings. I will left beyond the frame the quality of investigation in Ukraine. We are still nation in transit and a lot of things has to be done, but even the best office of prosecutor in the world couldn't effectively investigate 37 thousands episodes of criminal proceedings. It's impossible. That is why we have to create an additional to special tribunal, a hybrid mechanism ingrained in the national system like a model where national investigators can work together with international investigators. National judges can work together with international judges. It's like a vaccine which made national system more stronger and capable to face with this challenge. You mentioned in your talk this evening um, about the UN Security Council and the problem of Russia's veto. How does one create these tribunals? How do you get the ICC to investigate when uh, the mechanisms require um, secure, a vote at the UN and, and, the, and the Russia can veto it? How does one get around that obstacle? Security Council is blocked. But still, we can have opportunity to convince the General Assembly of UN to create a special tribunal. It's not easy task, because we need two-thirds majority of votes. And there are a lot of countries in our world which are far from the context, or very um, ingrained with Russian propaganda, or the political elite have a business with Russia and their own interests. So it's a difficult task, to be honest. We need a political courage and leadership of uh, elite of the different countries. Uh, to we need such kind of politicians who can see their responsibility not just between the temporal uh, electoral process, but historical responsibility for the future generations and not only in their country but speaking about the whole world and that's why we work in hard to to establish a horizontal ties with countries which we have no such ties before i was in colombia i was in argentina uh, my colleagues was in several countries of Africa. We speak directly with people and what I notice that justice is universal value. When you describe the war crimes which is committed in Ukraine, they have the same impact, the same understanding among people because first and foremost we are all human beings and people in Colombia or in Kenya have the same attitude, regardless their social position, religion, political views, ideology, color of a skin or other different um, features. And also we understand that this special tribunal couldn't take uh, for ages to be established because if justice is so delayed, time is not a justice. That is why we're looking to another possibility so we can create a special tribunal in the frame of regional international organization. I mean, in our region, it's Council of Europe or European Union. A difficult question now. When you talk to people about the end of the war, 
some people say that um, holding all Russians to account can get in the way of peace because they want to try and get the people around Putin to desert him. What's your answer to those people who say, well, you know, you have to try and split the people in, in Moscow and if, if all of them face a tribunal, then they'll all fight on? It's not me uh, who have to decide. There is a legal norms which clearly indicate if you committed war crimes, you have to be accountable. And if thousands of people committed of war crimes, it means thousands of people have to be accountable. We have to break this culture, culture of impunity. It's not Putin who raped pregnant women in Donetsk with whom I spoke. It wasn't Putin, it was so-called ordinary Russians. They have to be accountable whatever, uh, for everything what they did by their own hands. It will send a huge message uh, to the next generation uh, that such kind of behavior is not appropriate. And also, it can change something even today. Just uh, launching legal procedures can make a cooling effect to brutality of Russian violations, which is daily uh, committed in Ukraine. Because, okay, maybe not everybody, but some part of them start to think, maybe we can be accountable. Because we know that history of humankind convincingly proved that authoritarian regime collapse. So maybe we will not avoid accountability for this time. Maybe we have do more accurately because who knows what will be with us in the future. And even this doubt can save a lot of lives. I'll come to the audience after this last question from me, so please start thinking of your questions and I'll come to you in a second. My last question is at the end of your Nobel speech you very movingly talk about a, a vision um, of a different sort of world that moves beyond the very compromised world we live in. And I, I just wonder if you could say a few words about that before I turn to the floor. We live in a very interconnected world and a lot of complex problems which we face as a humankind needs complex answers. And I wish I know these answers, but I don't know. And that is why I'm sure that we have to find this answer together. And in my Nobel Peace um, Prize lecture, I said that in many countries worldwide, people also fighting for their human rights and human dignity. And, and result of their, their fights define our future. That is why we have to support them in this fight. And also, we need to establish a hum new humanistic movements without any ties to national borders, with involving intellectuals to find these complex answers to the complex question. How to deal with climate change? What we have to do with social inequality? Like, how to provide justice during the war? And how to prevent this war to happen? This kind of question has to be answered and we can't transfer this responsibility to the shoulders of politicians because they failed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now some questions. Who'd like to go first? Yes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that one uh, thing you, you want to see is that Russia is removed from the Security Council. 
Is there any legal way how you can get, go? Because, you know, I think I understand and I, I share this, this wish that this would, uh, should happen, but I'm just wondering how could this happen in practice, particularly if you see that uh, China is obviously also um, uh, a member with veto powers, so even if you convince everyone else, would you convince China for that? Okay, thank you very much. Just take a, I'll take a three, right, and then mm -hmm. we'll do them one. Yes, sure. over there, yes, the lady there. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, speaking to us. Um, my name is T.Y. I work, uh, I volunteer with HWPL. So I wanted to ask you, what does a, world, a culture of peace look like in the world, as opposed to a culture of war and violence? So what does that look like to you? Thank you very much. And one more question, and the woman at the front here. Sorry to make you run around so much. Oh, you've got a microphone, good. Thank you, my name is Tatiana. I'm also Ukrainian uh, and a lawyer. Um, my question is about justice. Um, Alexandra said that justice delayed is justice denied, as we all know. Are there alternative means of bringing justice to the people in Ukraine who suffered from war crimes? Uh, for instance, um, when I was studying criminology, we had this idea of restorative justice, and this is kind of one of the things that are being used here in the UK. So because the national courts, as Alexandra said, are so overwhelmed, and I think Ukrainian people would want to see justice in their country rather than having to travel miles to The Hague or wherever the special tribunal will be. I just wonder whether having a novel idea of justice, not the court system, might be the answer to this. Thank you very much. So the UNS Security Council, peace and alternative systems of justice. Thank you very much for these questions. I will try to provide brief answers, but for sure they need much more. Um, deep discussion. Uh, yes, Security Council is blocked, but we still have General Assembly. And this, uh, the Security Council is a body of UN which was created to prevent war to happen. And it's like ridiculous that country who started the war of aggression still is a member of Security Council. But now this is a legal ground, but there is a political ground, and we have to convince to a certain majority of General Assembly to exclude Russia from, sec from Security Council, which is a difficult question uh, to uh, achieve. I saw, I, uh, it was three or four days ago, I had a speech on the uh, in on New York event uh, on the premises of General Assembly, and then they uh, voted for resolution. And I opened this text of this resolution just to understand uh, what the vision of the countries of UN, how to achieve justice in Ukraine. And I found a very abstract formulation. There is no concrete message about security, about special tribunal on aggression. I was very disappointed. And so if uh, we even not achieve this, as a level of mentioning of resolution, I understand that it's very difficult to convince to exclude Russia, but still I'm not a person who predicts future, I'm a person who tries to create a future which we want to have. That is why I do believe that we have to do everything <laughs> to achieve this goal. Culture of peace. It's a question which which need a very complex discussion, not only from the legal point of view. We have to involve people from different fields of science. But if I can make a 
heart of this culture, I will say that they, this, they has to be based on the human dignity. And this is essential to, to, to define others as a human <laughs> with a human dignity. As a human rights lawyer, when I look in through the history, I always see that it always was a struggle for some groups of people to be recognized as a human. Sometimes it's people uh, who belong to some indigenous people, or people with some features like disabled people, or people, or it can be based on gender, for example, for women in some countries. It's always a fight to be recognized as a human beings, which means to, to ask from others to respect your dignity. Um, the last question is about justice. And justice, it's not just a um, picture when someone under the bars. This um, wife um, of uh, Alexandra Shelipov, she told that I'm okay if uh, the soldier will be exchanged to Russia and Ukrainian prisoners of the war will be released as a result of such exchange. So justice for her is something more essential. And different people, when you speak, they have different meaning of justice. For them, it's to have these perpetrators under the bar. For some, it's just to be recognized as a people who were treated badly, not just from moral, but from the legal point of view, and have not just political, but core decision. For some, uh, justice means compensation, so they will be not satisfied whether they will get it. So we need a complex justice strategy, and you're totally right, not just with the court but also with other institutions who will play different roles to reach these different needs. Thank you. Another question, please. Uh, I'll go for you. Thank you. Welcome to you. Hi, Xena. Thank you so much. As a Ukrainian myself from Kharkiv, it's really touching. I wanted to ask, like, the scope of, you know, like autocracy and everything sometimes freezes people. And I wanted to ask if you have any suggestions for ordinary people of British or anywhere else, if they want to help, because like big, big changes in UN and everything, it feels like so far away. If you have any suggestions, how every day today, because some people say, I don't have money to donate, what can I do? And sometimes I feel like people are shutting off from what, uh, you know, like, oh, it's too much, I'm just gonna shut off, it's horrible, it's gonna go on forever. So if you have any suggestions, thank you. Thank you. I have. <laughs> Gentleman there. Yes, if we go back all the way to the Old Testament and look from there at the historical record since then, we have wars, peace, wars, peace, endlessly. They're all on record. Now, peace to me seems like an ideal. Now, would it perhaps you'll agree with me, would it be possible to have peace and justice only if we had fought and got democracy everywhere in the world somehow? and also teach our children a sense of compassion so they grow up with the Christian idea that it's not a bad idea not to hurt anybody. Thank you very much. And I'm going to take a question from, sent in from someone who's watching us remotely. This is from Prabo who says, what single specific initiative could most help create the needed international system for war crimes accountability? Alexandra, over to you. 
I always asked from people in different countries what they can do to help Ukraine to win this battle for freedom and democracy. And I always respond that it's not me who have to answer to this question because you better know your society, you better know your, uh, what has to be done uh, in, in, in your circumstances. You, um, you can have uh, evaluated 100 and a half methods how to be useful in this situation. But first of all, you have to overcome one barriers which present. And I can clearly understand this barrier because when you face with a challenge which is war is, you can see all your efforts very modest and very small. And people, majority people ask what they can do, not because they don't, can't find what they can do, but because they don't know how to find the answer to the main question, how they can stop this war. This is it true. Because when we speak about the war, all our efforts in comparison, it's, it's, um, looks very less. But it's not because our efforts are modest and less. It's because the challenge is enormous. And OK, we all know that my single efforts can't stop this war. But without my single efforts, this war will never stop. And this is it true. When people understood that they can have influence, that even their <coughs> efforts can make impact, they can invent it, as I told, hundreds and hundreds of methods how to be useful. During the Revolution of Dignity, a Ukrainian artists visualize this barrier just to work with them and overcome them. And we have a poster with drop. And it was written, we are drop of the ocean. Okay, all of us are drop, so it's very small <laughs> entity. But we are drop of the ocean because together we can make a strategic <coughs> impact because ordinary people have a much more influence than they can even imagine. Uh, when we speak about um, reaching peace uh, and justice around the globe with uh, education facilities, I would like to refer that I spoke a lot about Russia, uh, but there is a problem in well-developed democracies as well. Because generations which came after the Second World War this in well-developed democracies, this is a generation who not fight for freedom, they inherited freedom. And we see that even in well-developed democracies, the, some political forces gain weight who start to put uh, in doubt the universal principle of declaration of human rights. And this is a very dangerous sign, because when you not fight for freedom, when you consumer of democracy, not producer of democracy. It's very easy for you, because you don't know the real meaning of these values, to exchange your rights and freedom for something else. For example, for economical benefits, for illusion of sa safety and security, for your own comfort. So I think that in order to achieve peace and justice, we have to work hard with um, with enlightenment and educational programs, starting with the kindergarten, just 
to not just to inform people that freedom, democracy, and rule of law is essential, but to help them practice these values in their life. The last question was, um, can you remind me yes, the last question? Yes, it was the, thing, the, si the single thing that you could do to make a big the biggest difference in the, in the creation of uh, four crimes accountability. To become our voice. Ukrainians provides a lot of campaigns to fight for justice. You can disseminate information. We live in digital era. It's uh, messages and claims can be very quickly disseminated around the globe in different languages. If it will be one action, I will ask to take position, not just pose, and to become our voice. Thank you. I think we've got time for one more round of questions. I'll take one from the here, which is, um, is, is there a place for good Russians, in inverted commas, in a modern global humanist movement of intellectuals? And how do you identify them? And from the room? Yes, there. And, okay, someone's pointing at you. Hi. Um, I come from Cambridge, and uh, I thank you very much for everything you're doing. Um, in Cambridge, we have a lot of scientists and engineers, and many of us uh, volunteer also to help uh, Ukrainians, Ukrainian refugees, and Ukrainians in Ukraine. And I would like to ask you, like, uh, for our community in Cambridge, um, what would you tell them how engineers and scientists uh, can help Ukraine? Thank you very much. And very quickly, the gentleman at the front here, please. Thanks. I was um, working in the grey zone in 2014 and 15, and I spoke with lots of people there at the time. And it is true, I think, that Russians committed horrible crimes then in, in the Donbass. But I have an impression that the level of atrocities in 2022 was different, was significantly higher. Uh, so first, do you agree with this assessment? And if you do, why is that? Thank you very much. And we're quite short of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will try to answer it briefly. Um, I don't define people for ethnicity, and I can't speak about good Russians or bad Russians. I can speak about Russians who share values and prove these values by their own life. And I have a good example of our Russian human rights colleagues. We share the Nobel Peace Prize with colleagues from memorials, and we work for ages together with them. They always call the war the war. They, they always say that, Crimea, uh, that annexation of Crimea is an international crimes, and they not just say, they, they help us, they work with us, they do a significant job to help us to to um, release Ukrainian political prisoners in, in previous eight years. But they faced not just with repressive regimes, they faced with majority of Russians. Unfortunately, our brave uh, Russian human rights colleague, a tiny minority, they're marginals, because majority of Russians supported this war. And it's very sad uh, truth about Putin govern Russia not just with repressions and censorship, but with a special social contract which, fa which based on Russian glory. 
and unfortunately, even in the 21st century, majority of Russians see their gl glory in a forcible restoration of Russian Empire. When we speak about uni university community, it's a, a unique space for intellectual bravery. And people in university can not only set the priorities for agenda, and if you choose justice, I will be very grateful because it will mean you can use your university networks to push to, to have justice as a priority, not just for universal circles, but for the policy in the country as well. And also you as intellectuals can elaborate this mechanism of complex justice strategy, which we just uh, tell previously, how to better in Ukrainian situation uh, to achieve different needs of uh, different groups of people. And about difference. We documented war crimes for nine years and we saw when Russians appeared in Ukrainian territory in 2014, they deliberately exterminate active minorities, uh, mayors, local deputies, uh, journalists, volunteers, uh, priests, um, artists, other active people of the community, just to save control of the community. So we were prepared. But remember this picture from the butcher, where dead bodies lay scattered around the streets until liberation. These people were killed not because they were priests or journalists or local deputies. They were killed because Russian could kill them. And this is another thing. They shift from political persecution to the general terror. Because they understood that they can't occupy this country with this tool. Thank you very much. Well, I'm afraid we've come to the end of this evening. Thank you for your questions. Thank you very much for your questions online. Um, and I want to say, don't forget to click the links in the chat for more information about how you can get involved with the RSA and also what you can do to support the people of Ukraine in their fight for peace and justice via the Ukrainian Institute in London. And most of all, I wanted to thank you, Alexandra. This is a terrible war, and war is awful, and the suffering is awful, but I think tonight you've just given us a glimpse of how we might salvage something better out of it. So thank you very much. You. Please give Alexandra your thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.